Acts 27. Let me just read verse number 12 so that you remember um, the fair haven. It's been, for some of you, it's been two weeks or longer since I last spoke to you. We had the meeting and uh, there were a few families that weren't here last Lord's Day. But uh, you remember in verse number 12 that the, the fair haven that they had to winter in, the more part of the crew thought was not... Um, to their liking, wasn't commodious. And therefore they all counseled together that they should sail on to another port in Crete. But verse number 13 of Acts 27, that's page number 827 in your pew Bible, if you want to use that this morning. 827 of your pew Bible, Acts 27, verse 13, and when the south wind blew softly, that sounds nice, doesn't it? The south wind blowing softly. Makes you think of some tropic destination somewhere with a, a nice beach and, and uh, blue water. Um, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence or weighing anchor, they, they drew up the anchor from Fair Havens and decided to sail out. They sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. They just let it go. I don't, you never had a car. Jim's drove a lot of cars with a lot of horsepower under the hood. You never just let one go, have you, Jim? No. <laughs> they let this boat go. Verse 16 says, And running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. This was a little skiff or little dinghy they had they were towing. They were trying to get it on board after the storm arose. Verse 17 says, Which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, they strake sail, or they let down their sails. And so were driven. And we being, verse number 18, we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest. I think a few of us have probably been tossed by a few things. If you've never been in a boat, there's been things happen in your life that you've been tossed by. And we're trying to make application in such a way to ourselves as we read this account of Paul. Verse 18, and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day they cast out with their own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and when no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after a long abstinence, you know, Paul had spoken some time back and told them not to go. We need to stay right here. And it's been some time since he last spoke. But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, imagine telling a bunch of seasoned men, salty sailors who had been in lots of storms and men who weren't restrained by the grace of God in their actions, kind of like Brother Johnny Carter talks about himself before the Lord saved him and things he used to do. Imagine standing up a bunch of those men and saying, Hey, I told you so. That's essentially what he did, though I... I I would say that he probably did with much, much care and concern and love and compassion towards them and not just in a mean-spirited way. I told you you shouldn't have left. Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. You should have listened to me and not have weighed anchor from Crete or loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. So I don't think that we're going to get any further than that this morning. I won't read any more. You can go back later today if you want and read further um, or reread the chapter. Always good to do that as we're preaching through a book. Just continue to read through the book. You know, as we as we go through, the Lord will show you more and more things, open more and more things to you as you as you do so. Let's um before we get into the message and before you're seated, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to ask Brother Mike Garrity if he would pray for us, pray for me.
Amen. You may be seated. I hope you're thankful to be here this morning. I know I am. Um, I turned 40 years old yesterday. I know to some of you that's not very old. To some of the rest of you, you're probably thinking, man, he's getting old. Uh, Some of you younger people, some of my kids maybe even, I don't know. But um, J.D. announced his text this morning in 2 Samuel 7, and I... Of course, we've been through that as well um, at one time in the life of David. And I got to looking further down in the chapter as he was reading. And I got to verse number 18 where David comes in and sits before the Lord after Nathan speaks all those things that J.D. was talking about unto him. And he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house? that thou hast brought me hitherto, or in other words, that you've brought me this far. So, I can say that this morning. Here I am, I've turned 40 years old. Who am I? Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? What am I that you've brought me to the, to the 40th year of my birth? Who am I that you've given me almost 20 years this June Believe it or not, Teresa and I have been married 20 years. And who am I that, that you would cause me to stand here in this pulpit behind this piece of wood here to speak to these people? Some of you have been here the whole time. Some of you haven't. But to pastor here for 13 years. A uh, little more than that, actually. But, uh, but who am I that the Lord should be so good unto me and I think we all ought to take account. We all ought to take inventory this morning. Um, who are we? Who are you that the Lord should give you two twin boys? Who are you that He should give you precious little grandsons? You know? Who are we? Every one of us. I could look at all of y'all and say something. Who are we? The Lord should be so good unto us. Not let that thing that fell on your skull crack it open and you not be with us anymore, Jim. Who am I? The Lord should be so good unto me. Well, thank the Lord that we're here this morning. Thank the Lord even more if you're here this morning and your heart rejoices that you can be here and that you are eager to be amongst the company of God's people and that you are eager to hear the Word of God proclaimed, and that you've come with a heart prepared and desirous that God would speak to you this morning. What would He have to say? What is it that I'm dealing with in my life at this time that from this very text the Lord may have something that would be of help or of benefit to me or maybe to someone else that's going through something at this particular time? We'll be saying the hymn this morning. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. I've had this subject of, or this thought of prayer on my mind a lot this week. I even have thought more than once upon the song that Brother Barney stood here during the meeting and sang to us, you know, about before you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? What kind of condition is your soul in this morning? What kind of condition is your heart and mind in this morning? Did you think to pray this morning? Was prayer something that was part of your morning activities as you thought about breakfast, as you thought about getting ready, as you thought about coming here, as you thought about what you might do the rest of the day? Was prayer part of that? I mean, before we 
uh, Brother Jimmy Downing, we were, Mom and Dad were at that particular camp up in Arkansas when he spoke and talked about before we ever get out of bed in the morning, uh, before our feet hit the floor, uh, our first words ought to be, this is what he was talking about, is our first words ought to be to God. Now, you can get out of bed and your first words still be to the Lord before you speak to anybody else, but um, you may need to get out of your room. Most of the time when I wake up in the morning, there's at least one kid in the bed with us. Sometimes there's two. And I'm trying to be as quiet as possible because I don't want either one of them waking up because I don't want the littlest one to wake up, Teresa, because I know she's been up most of the night having to uh, rock her to sleep and keep her asleep and feed her and those types of things. And I don't want Anna up because she'll keep me from doing the things that I normally do with my morning routine before I walk out the door to go to work. And Andrew doesn't want her to wake up either because he has to get up or Rebecca has to get up to make sure that you know, she uh, has the things that she needs. She's got to have her chocolate milk first thing in the morning. How many of y'all got chocolate milk first thing when you woke up in the morning? My mom and dad wouldn't let me have chocolate milk when I woke up in the morning. But uh, well, she's spoiled, that's for sure. But have you ever been caught not praying? Have you ever been caught by a decision? <clears throat> you have been caught by circumstance. You have been caught in some place. And you know, boy, I should have been praying about this before I got here. I'm, I'm not in a good place without having prayed. I'm not in a good place without having sought the Lord about this. If I had sought the Lord about this, I probably wouldn't have found myself in this position. I think we probably all have found ourselves there once or twice, maybe more, and likely we'll find ourselves there again. If we do not place a premium, very high premium, upon prayer, upon seeking the Lord, and upon setting the things that we have set our hearts and minds upon before Him and seeking Him as to whether or not those things should be things that we pursue or not. So, how many times have we made decisions based solely upon our emotions instead of seeking the Lord in prayer? And put it in, in that context as well. As well. Instead of um, seeking God's will, instead of seeking God's design for our lives, which is always best, whether it be who you marry, I was thinking a lot about this this week too. <clears throat> if I had to go back and live this part of my life again, I would have a man of God speak to me these words. Young man, before you choose a wife, before you even set your sights upon marrying someone, make sure that you have sought the Lord, not just about that person, but make sure you have sought the Lord and examined yourself and that you are a child of God before you ever even enter into that other relationship. Make sure that relationship with the Lord is settled first. Make sure He is your beloved first. Make sure He is your first love. He, he needs to be. <clears throat> I know that's not going to be the case for a lot of young people that are going to get married before they ever settle that, before they examine themselves and see whether or not they be in the faith. But <clears throat> I would have my children. <clears throat> I remember there was one preacher in, uh, at Bentley that spoke one time that was talking to the young people and he told some of the kids that were raised up in church, told some of the kids that were raised up with godly parents, why do you want a godly spouse? Why do you want a, why do you want a, a husband or a wife is saved when... You're not converted. And that, that needs to be my children's first thing that they set their minds upon, their hearts upon. I need to know the Lord first. And once I know the Lord, then I can seek a godly companion. Then I can seek a godly mate. I need to make that decision first. We need to be able to Commune with the Lord, to cast our cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for us. Come to Him in prayer and supplication. 
for ourselves and for others. We start our text here in Acts 27 and verse 13. The south wind blowing softly. And like I said before, that sounds so pleasant. These men had, uh, based upon their emotions, based upon their own heart's desire, based upon what they wanted, had made a decision to weigh anchor and leave this place that they were in called Fair Havens. And the south wind blew softly, and they thought they'd obtained their purpose. They imagined that they had gotten what they had desired and that God was even pleased with them and what they had done. You know, we can be in such a condition, our hearts and minds can be in such a condition, that we can do things that are contrary to the will of God and imagine that we're okay. Imagine that God's okay with what we're doing. Imagine that we're doing the thing that's pleasing God. Let me tell you, that kind of condition comes apart from prayer. Comes apart from a heart that truly desires and seeks to know what God's will is. That comes from a heart that's really running upon, based upon, making decisions upon what it wants instead of what God would have for it. How we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing what God would have us to do when we have not even sought Him. The south wind blew softly, but that didn't last long. Supposing they had obtained their purpose, since they had loosed from fair havens, verse number 14 says, not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And verse 15 tells us the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, and they had to let the ship drive. What of those who never call upon the Lord? Here's this wind blowing. Their ship's caught. They can't do anything. Let me tell you, if you don't know the Lord and the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you and you have not been born again, you're just being driven. You're being driven by passions. You're being driven by lusts. You're being driven by the power of Satan. You're being driven by darkness. You're being driven by sin. Your drive is all for something that is contrary to what God would have you to be. These men, their ship is caught in the wind and they cannot bear up against it. Apart from the power of God that spoke the worlds into existence, that said, let there be light and there was light. The Spirit of God moving upon you know, the, the face of, of the deep and and man being formed out of the dust of the earth and the breath of life being breathed into his nostrils where he became a living soul. We spoke about that last week. How many of us could take and form something that looked like a man out of the dust of the earth and say, live and give it life? It takes that kind of power for you to resist this kind of a wind that blows. If we want to look at this at this situation that we have here and this ship being caught in the wind from the aspect of a person who does not know the Lord and who is driven by the lusts and the desires and the cares and the pleasures of this life, you're not going to be able to bear up against that wind. You're going to, that wind's going to drive you except you call upon the Lord, except you seek Him that you might be saved, except you call upon Him that you might have a different desire, a different hope. Take pleasure in things that you altogether before have not found to be interesting at all. I spoke to some of those people at the funeral. <coughs> Sister Louise's mother, Carrie, Josue, brother John's grandmother. My prayer for them was that if these things that I was talking about held no interest for them, the Lord would change that. The Lord would change that. Because there was a time that I sat in the church pew, just like Andrew sitting there this morning. I don't know what's going on in his heart and mind this morning as I'm speaking. 
There was a time that I sat in the church pew and I thought, man, will this guy ever be quiet? What in the world is he talking about? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, you know, my parents brought me here is the reason I'm here. You know, I may not have put it exactly in those words, but that was really where my heart was. But in essence, there was a time when I didn't care for these things. Why didn't I care for them? Because I didn't have any, I didn't have any life within me. I was dead towards God. The wind was just driving me. Whatever, whatever my friends had to say, let's go do this or that, boy, I was there. We're going to go do that. Did some things that I don't like the memory of, even being in my mind anymore. They come back every once in a while. And I remember my former life, and I remember the pit from which I was dug, and I remember the grace of God that's been shown unto me, and I think about what I could have become, what could have become of me. Because let me tell you, this wind, if you don't know the Lord this morning, this wind that's driving you is going to drive you straight into hell. Unless you call upon the Lord. Unless you seek Him to save you. Your ship is caught in the wind and you cannot bear up against it. You have no defense. These men upon this ship had no, no real God to call upon. I may have read the passage to you out of Job... Um, not Job, but um, um, boy, my mind is just Jonah. The passage out of Jonah, where there, this storm comes up, similar to what we're looking at here. Jonah's asleep. Something similar to our Lord and the disciples. The, the Lord was asleep in the boat, and the disciples were all water was coming in, filling up the boat. It was about to sink. They said, "Lord, don't you care that we perish?" Oh, Jonah's asleep. Here's this storm. And the captain comes and wakes him up and says, Call upon your God. You know, in other words, don't you care that we're going to perish? Call upon your God. So what were these men saying? What were they calling upon? From what we can see, it wasn't the God of heaven. They had no hope in Christ. They did not possess the Holy Spirit. They did not have peace or rest in the power of God and His ability to cause all things to work together for their good. They were, as Paul says of some of us, really, before we came to Christ, without God, without hope in the world. We're around a whole bunch of people like this every day. We're on this ship with a whole bunch of people every day who are without God and without hope in the world and they're just being driven by this wind that is blowing and they have, they have no hope. Paul still had a hope. Paul was in this boat too. And he was being driven with the rest of them. But he wasn't being driven by the same things that were driving them. You know, the, the lust and the cares and the pleasures of this life that were driving them to get to the next port that was a lot better place and had a lot more things to do and it was a lot more fun in the place that they were in. That wasn't what drove Paul. Here these men weren't concerned about the eternal state of their souls. They were just, they were just concerned about having a good time. That's all they wanted. But there was Paul praying for each and every one of them that they might come to know the Lord as he had come to know the Lord, I am sure. Ephesians 2.11 says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. So we go from <clears throat> the unbeliever who is driven by the cares and pleasures of this life. Let me just switch perspectives now to the Christian. Same wind's blowing and your life's blowing in theirs. Same trials and tribulations come into your life that come into theirs. Your desires are different than theirs are. But the same cares and pleasures or the same wind that's blowing 
is uh, blowing in your life. The same trials and tribulations are blowing in your life just like they are in theirs. They can't bear up against it. They have no hope. They're being driven. We, we read further along there. They've thrown out the tackle. They've lightened the load of the ship. There was neither sun nor stars many days. And no small tempest lay upon them. And all hope that they should be saved was then taken away. See, that's their perspective on board this ship. That's not your perspective. That's not my perspective. As things come, as trials and tribulations, as we face them and the wind is blowing, you can bear up against it because you do have a hope. You are able in the midst of the storms of this life to bear up against them. You've already been promised that you will overcome. That's been told you. And that not more than you can bear will be put upon you. And that it's not upon your own ability that you depend. You don't depend upon what you can do. But you know that at any moment, if the Lord so chose to do, He could stand up just like He did with the disciples and say, Peace, be still. And whether He does with the outward circumstances through prayer and supplication, us bringing our cares before Him in our own hearts and minds, knowing that He is over all and that His power is greater than all, no matter where we find ourselves, we can be at peace and be still and know that He is God with our own hearts and minds. No matter what is blowing outside, we can be at peace and be still within. We have a hope. We are not without God, and we are not without hope in this world. Be of good cheer, the Bible says. Be of good cheer, little children. It's your, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid. How many times are we told in Scripture, fear not, fear not, fear not, over and over and over again. Did Paul have cause to be afraid? This great storm had arisen. These men that were seasoned sailors that knew how to handle such situations had never come up against something like this and had decided there's nothing else we can do but just let the ship go. Did Paul have reason to fear? If he trusted in his own resources and what he could do, yeah. Those men had reason to be afraid. They had done everything they could do. And there was nothing else to be done. They trusted in their own strength. They trusted in their own ability. Not so for the child of God. Not so for the Christian. Not so for the believer. Not, not what we trust in. Now, if you begin to do that, then that's when fear and unbelief will certainly creep in. But as we remember, as we're brought to a place to remember, as we're brought to a place like these, these men are being brought really to the same place sometimes we have to be brought to. We, even as believers, have to be brought to a place sometimes because we've trusted in our own strength. We've trusted in our own wisdom. And we've trusted in our own ability. That those things have to be removed. And they have to be exhausted. And we have to find ourselves like these men found themselves throwing out the tackle, lightening the ship. And we have to find ourselves in a place where we have no other hope but to call upon the Lord. Andrew, did you go back there in the tape room? And there's a little book, a little free grace broadcaster that I left there. I wanted to read something. And uh, I left it in there, just laying to the right of the computer. Will you get it for me? How informed we are. Couldn't do that in some churches. We do have a hope. Hebrews 6.19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where's that anchor anchored in? It's anchored in that place where our Lord has gone. That place that J.D. was talking to us about this morning. That place that has been prepared for us, that is... That is is for sure. It's steadfast. It's sure. 
There's, there's no chance that we're not going to make it there, is there, brother? We're going to be there. I picked this up this morning. I was straightening up some of the stuff back there on the table. And this caught my eye because of you, Sister Louise. Having lost your mother, one of the things that I said to you was that God is the God of all comfort. And when I saw the front of this book, it caught my attention. The God of all comfort. And I said, wow. Open it up. First thing inside, Charles Spurgeon wrote an, um, something here in, out of morning and evening called, Oh, Blessed Hurricane. And that's what these men are really in. They're in a hurricane in the ship. So I thought, well, I'm going to read that. And after I read it, I thought, there's a couple paragraphs in here I'd like to read to y'all. And um, the passage that he's speaking from is out of Isaiah 51.5, On mine arm shall they trust. The Lord's saying, I'm going to put you into some situations. I'm going to put you in circumstances where your resources, your ability, your strength are all going to be exhausted and you're going to come to a place like this in Isaiah 51.5 where you're going to say, on the Lord's arm I'm going to trust. In the Lord's strength I'm going to trust. I can't do it. I can't make it. I'm not able. But the Lord is. Brother Spurgeon says, in seasons of severe trial, the Christian has nothing on earth that he can trust to and is therefore compelled to cast himself on his God alone when his vessel is on its beam's ends. I had no idea what that meant. What does it mean for your vessel to be on its beam's ends? There's a little definition down here at the bottom. It says, the beam's ends is the end of a ship's beams which stretch from side to side. So you can imagine if you're in such a storm that the beams that are supporting the ship are going this way, stretching from side to side, and the boat's on the beam's end, on the end of that beam that's going from side to side, that's pretty rough. The end of a ship's beams would stretch from side to side supporting the deck. And you want to think about where that beam's at? It's up on the deck. That's the high part of the boat where most of the people are standing. When the water gets up there, that's pretty... Terrifying, I would think. Means to have the beam's ends touching the water so that the vessel lies on its side in imminent danger of capsizing. So, talking about the Christian, he says, when his vessel is on its beam's ends and no human deliverance can avail, he must simply and entirely trust himself to the providence and care of God. That's a pretty rough place to be, it sounds like. But listen to what he says. This is in keeping with his title, O Blessed Hurricane. He says, happy storm. How many people would call the storm happy? Yet he does. Happy storm that wrecks a man on such a rock as this. What's he talking about? Being wrecked upon God's strength alone. Nothing I can do. I'm trusting in him. O blessed hurricane that drives the soul to God and God alone. He says, there is no getting at our God sometimes because of the multitude of our friends. But when a man is so poor, so friendless, so helpless that he has nowhere else to turn, he flies into his father's arms and is blessedly clasped therein. When he is burdened with trouble so pressing and so peculiar that he cannot tell them to any but his God, he may be thankful for them. For he will learn more of his Lord then than at any other time. I have found it to be so in my own life. Severe trials. Learn more of God then than I would have without being in that trial. Because I've been cast upon him and he's shown himself faithful to me. Maybe you found that to be so in your own life, or maybe you haven't come to such a place where you've reached the end of your resources. Maybe you still have some pride left to think you can do it yourself. If it were in our own strength that we were required to bear up against the winds and storms of temptations and trials that assail us, then we'd have reason to fear when our ship was on its beam's ends. Then we would be like the unbelieving world who are not able to bear up against those storms. 
All they can do is tie themselves to the mast and hope it doesn't break and fall off into the water and drown them. We have something better than that to tie ourselves to. The ship's going to perish. This ship that we're reading about here is not going to make it. If I tie myself to the ship, I'm not going to make it. I need to be brought to a place where I know that I have no hope but in God alone. So I ask you this morning, who's at the helm? Who's at the helm? Are you still there? Do you still have that wheel in your hand? Boy, you're just trying to turn it. You're trying to bear up against that wind of the storms and the trials and the troubles of this life in your own strength. Thinking you're strong enough, I can turn this wheel and I can turn this rudder and I can cause this ship to go where I want it to go. Or have you come to a place like these men and said, they've thrown up their hands and thrown everything out and said, you know, there's nothing else we can do. All hope is gone. We've, we're going to have to we're going to have to trust in the Lord. Our ship would sink. We would sink in fear. Unbelief. If we fail to remember that it is He who has the ability to stand forth, like I said before, and call, these, call to the wind and the waves and tell them to peace, be still. I would be overcome by Sorrow, by grief, by pain, by trial, by tribulation, and all sorts of the storms of this life that seek to blow me off the course of my faith, if it were not for that faith that God has given me to trust in Him, to rest in Him, to call upon Him, cast my cares upon Him, hope in Him, trust in Him, rest in that arm in Isaiah 51, 5, on mine arm shall they trust. Nothing else for the Christian to do. Nothing else for you to do but trust in Him. We're not going to be able to force the direction of the vessel. They found that out. The men are going to try. Men in our country today are seeking to force the direction of this vessel. We've got bailouts here and bailouts there. The auto industry and financial industry we're seeking to force the direction of this vessel what would it be like if the bailout consisted of this we're going to call upon the Lord and seek him and, and find out what he would have us to do and whether or not the country comes to such a place where we're in financial ruin and poverty or overrun by some foreign power we've trusted in his arm and we're looking to him what would that be like Instead, plans are being forged, sought to be implemented. But over it all, God's going to send His wind. <laughs> and whatever they've forged and whatever they've implemented, whatever they've planned, it's not going to prosper. Over it all, God sends the wind. And those things are not able to bear up into the wind. Eventually, they're going to see that they're just going to have to let it drive. You have to drive however long. This recession is going to last as long as it's going to last, no matter what men do. It'll last as long as God has intended for it to last. Maybe we'll come back to another depression. Maybe people will be brought to a place where they can appreciate. You think about these men, they hadn't seen the sun, they hadn't seen the stars for many days. Do you think at that point they were they would have appreciated to be able to see the sun and stars again. These men probably didn't even know if it was day or night. It was just dark, and they couldn't see anything. How we take for granted things, like getting up this morning and <clears throat> being able to reach in the refrigerator and grab a couple of eggs and some bacon and throw it on the grill and eat it. Might come a time and a place where that's not in the icebox. And like John was telling me <clears throat> this past, I guess it was last week, I don't know. It was Wednesday, I think it was. We were talking. Been some times <clears throat> in his life where there was some food in the pantry that he wasn't real interested in. But he got to a place he was so hungry he was glad to eat it. Thankful for it. 
even if there had just been a little window to be able to see the sun or the stars. They would have been glad. They were not able to bear up into the wind and they had to let the boat drive. And when you go in there and you look at what that word means, it means to give over, to surrender, to deliver unto. <clears throat> what were they delivering the boat unto? They were delivering unto the Lord. There's nothing else they could do. They couldn't, they couldn't steer it anymore. The wind was blowing. There was nothing they could do. Who's, who's, who's causing the wind to blow? It's Him. You remember what the second psalm says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? They, they counseled together. They wanted to cast the Lord's people out from them. Be done with them. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them with his sore displeasure. It's a vain thing for us to imagine that anything outside of the will of God is going to prosper. Job 9.4 says, Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Not one. Pharaoh hardened himself, hardened his heart against what God was saying, let my people go. You know, he was trying to steer that ship still. I'm going to keep these people. I'm not going to let them go. The Lord brought plague after plague after plague. Finally, when his firstborn was killed, he said, okay, I'll let your people go. We will have much work if we find ourselves contrary to this wind, trying to bear up against this wind, we will have much work to do the simplest things. To draw up that little dinghy. It's such an easy thing to do, it seems. But they couldn't bear up against the wind. And even such a simple task as bringing this boat, the small boat on board the ship, it took much work. And we will have much work to draw up the simplest of things and seek to save them when we realize that this wind is against us. And we will wonder why it is that we have ever decided. This, this is the point that I'm coming to with these things. We will wonder why it is that we ever decided to leave Fair Havens. Why, oh why, oh why, did I ever decide to leave Fair Havens? God's appointed means of sheltering us from this storm. Why did I step out from underneath the shadow of His wing? We sang this morning, under His wings. Who from His love can sever? They gained a little ground by God's mercy, sailing under the protection, windbreak as it were, from the storm to get that little boat on board. And God's going to further use that later on. And verse 17 says, Fearing lest they should run aground or fall into quicksands, they lowered the sail. It says they strake sail, which means to lower the sail. What's the Lord saying to us? Lower your sail. Lower your sail. Don't thrust your sail and throw your sail up there trying to do what you would do in your own strength for your own purposes. Lower your sail. Quit trying to seek to propel the ship. Because that's what a sail was for, is for propulsion. Quit trying to propel the ship in a different direction than the course that God would set you upon. God can bring you to the place where you would rather trust in Him than in yourself. And today, if you're trusting in yourself, then I hope God brings you to that place because it's a much better place to be to trust in Him than to trust in yourself. Trust in your own abilities and your own resources. These were seasoned sailors, yet they lowered their sails. 
for you that are here lost without Christ, enough of your life has been spent with your sail cast up, seeking to go your own way, to live according to your own will, according to the cares and the pleasures of this life. Your course and direction are heading you straight into hell. Lower your sail and come to Christ. Quit steering your vessel away from Him. Do like Brother Spurgeon said, wreck your soul upon Him. Put your hope in Him only. We sang again this morning. Nothing. That was such a great hymn for y'all to, to choose for, the, for the, uh, the funeral. Nothing but the blood. Look back there at John when somebody called that out and grinned at him. He knew what I was thinking. I knew what he was too. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. A lot of people were there. Like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Catholic people were there trusting in a lot of other things. Saints, works, Pope, you know, I don't know. Nothing but the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wreck your soul upon Him. Only He can save you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are this morning. But if you're lost and without Christ, if you're without God in this world, come unto Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He alone can save you. The winds of His grace can carry you. You can trade the contrary wind of God's judgment. That wind that's against you because you are dead set on having it your own way. You can trade the winds of God's judgment for the favorable winds of God's providence and leading you, guiding you everywhere that you go. Like Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God's will must reign supreme in our lives. Make sure that the set of your sail, if your sails are up, that it's the favorable winds of God's providence that is carrying you. And not the winds of His judgment that are driving you, trying to bear up against it. What would He have you to do? Brother John, Sister Louise, what would the Lord have you to do now? Your days have been spent in caring for your mother and your grandmother. I know you're, you must feel like you've got all this time you know, on your hands and there's this emptiness that is there. What will the Lord have you to do now? Will you set your hands to do the things that you want to do or will you seek the Lord? Brother John was saying, you think the Lord would have me to, you know, think the Lord would be pleased if I were to go down to the nursing home and, and try to, to be a, a witness and help some of those people down there? He's been, you know, he's been doing that essentially for his grandmother. He's, he's seeking to perhaps use that in the lives of some of those other people that are down there at the nursing home. I said, the Lord may very well do it. You pray about it, brother. Pray about it. See if that's what the Lord would have you to do. What would the Lord have us set our hands to? What would the Lord have us to do? Verse 18 tells us they lightened the ship. They began, they began to want to aid in the direction of the wind that was driving them in hopes to reach some shore. It didn't matter where. They had left Fair Havens, but they were just wanting some land somewhere. Verse 19, they cast out the tackling of the ship with their own hands. It wasn't, taken, it wasn't taken from them by the sea. Some lightning bolt didn't strike and take the mast out. The waves didn't come over the side and wash away all the ropes and the, and the tackle that they had. No, they cast it out themselves in hopes of some shore. If you're hoping in anything outside of Christ, cast it out. Cast it away. If you're hoping in your own goodness, cast it overboard. Trust in the Lord. His blood alone can save you. God will, God will accept nothing else for your sins. You've got this mountain of sin 
against God that you've committed, nothing else can remove that mountain. Nothing else can blot it out like J.D. was telling us about this morning as he was praying. Thankful for the blood of Christ that has washed away our sins, blotted out the transgressions, the handwriting of the transgressions that were against us. God's got a book and they're all written down. Everything that you've done, every thought that you have, have, have thought, every idle word that you've spoken, every dirty and nasty joke that you've told, all that stuff's written against you. What are you going to do to remove it? Nothing but the blood of Christ is able. They cast out the tackling of the ship with their own hands. And brothers and sisters here this morning, there's a lot of things in our lives that need to be cast out too. A lot of things that the Lord may, that the Lord will from time to time put His finger on. And this needs to go. You need to throw this overboard. This thing that's been a part of your life, it's not pleasing to me. It needs to go. We all have a lot of baggage that we just do not need and aren't going to take with us anyway when we reach that place that J.D. was telling us about. Ultimately, We reach heaven itself. One man said, When our lives are in danger, we're often compelled to sacrifice objects which we highly value and would gladly retain. Lots of things we'd like to keep. But lots of things we'd like to get rid of. He goes on to say, But who would listen to us if we should propose such a course for the sake of securing everlasting life? That there's some things that you need to throw overboard that you might be saying. Who would listen? And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, these men were in such a place they had lost all hope. What a grace. We can say with Brother Spurgeon, blessed hurricane. Happy storm, he said, for a person to be brought to such a place. For you to be brought to such a place where you cast yourself upon the Lord. That's a good place to be. Excellent place to be. That's a place, like J.D. was saying, that can't be shaken. You're in a place where you're trusting and relying upon the Lord alone and not in yourself anymore, that's unshakable. All those other things can be shaken, but this is unshakable. Being founded upon Him, upon that rock, which is Christ, that's not shakable. That's not moving. You're like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Immovable. Maybe to this day we've rejected such counsel. But maybe we're in such a place this morning we're able to receive such advice. You think about Paul. He stood up and he told these men, don't go. They went anyway. They weren't able to receive Paul's counsel then. But the Lord brought them to such a place that they were able to receive it. His earlier counsel rejected and yet God used it to promote the wisdom and understanding of his servant among all those men that he might gain their ear, that they might listen to him more attentively when the appointed time came. And how often this might be our experience. We speak to someone and give them counsel and they won't receive it, it seems. They reject it. But later, when they come to a place where they have no other hope but in God, they're glad to receive such counsel and they, they know where to go and get it. God had reduced these men to such a state as to hear what Paul had to say. If they'd been in their former frame of mind, they wouldn't have listened to him, but now, now they're able. 
Suffice it to say that the Lord brings men into a state to hear or we never would. He brought me and you to such a place or we desired to hear things that we didn't care for before. We didn't care for the gospel, didn't care to be saved, didn't care to treasure eternal things, didn't care about things, spiritual, natural things around us, every day clamoring for our attention held more attraction to us than the things of God. We would not have heard. But now, now we gladly answer. Like when we read the wisdom of Solomon speaking to his son, saying, Son, give thy heart unto me. Now that we've come to such a place, we gladly say, Lord, my heart is yours. Do with it what you wish. Take it where you would have it to go. Make me to do the things that you would have me to do. That's all I find pleasure in anymore and do it gladly and rejoice in it. I hope that's where your heart is this morning. If it's not, then I pray the Lord to bring it to such a place. Let's stand. Perhaps the Lord spoke to you this morning, perhaps not. If He did, whatever He said to you, doesn't have to be the words that I use. The Lord say something to you just from the text that we read. Don't let it slip. Be careful to retain it. Be careful to think upon it. Be careful to be a doer of the things that you hear and not just to be a hearer of those things. I hope this morning it's not the earlier counsel that was rejected. But if it is, I hope that you're brought to a place where later on you can receive it. So. May He have His way with us as He had His way with Paul. As, he, as our Lord, what do we find our Lord saying? I must be. When he was 12 years old, there in the temple, his mother and father looking for him, thought that they were with him or with some of the family. He said, did you not know I must be about my father's business? Is that where we are? I must be. Every day I get up, I must be about my father's business. Whatever I'm doing. It's sitting in my office. All those files that are before me that the state of Texas expects me to do process that while I'm doing it I'm about my father's business I'm not not waiting for somebody to walk around the corner and catch me whether I'm working or not that I'm working as under the Lord I must be about my father's business that as I meet with every person that comes into my office or I talk to over the phone is there an opportunity to speak might the Lord provide an opportunity for them to hear something I must be about my father's business as I'm driving down the road and see some person on the side of the road that's broke down, well, pull over and stop and try to render aid, I must be about my father's business. Am I looking just to change the flat? No. I'm looking to have some entrance into the soul and into the heart of a person who might not have seen stars or sun for many days. I must be about his business. Paul, a prisoner on board this ship, headed for Rome where he will die was about his father's business. Let us be also J.D. and Emily in Colorado with family, most friends, time of recreation must be about my father's business. What might the Lord use? What window of opportunity might he give for you to be able to speak to someone that doesn't know the Lord? Jim, Heading up to Chicago. Who might you have an opportunity to speak to? Your son? Your grandson? I don't know. Dan works with people in the entertainment industry. It's a bunch of wicked people. Who might he have an opportunity to speak to?
Let us be about His business and not ours. Let my agenda every day be His, not my own. Let my, not my feet hit the floor without saying, Father, what will you have today? Order my day. I'm trusting in you. I'm not leaning in my, upon my own understanding. I'm acknowledging you in all my ways, and I want you to direct my path today. I've laid all these things out before me, but however they go, I'm going to accept it as from you. If I don't get done today what I plan on getting done, let me do today what you have, have ordained, what you have set before me, what good works you have given me to perform that men may see them and glorify my Father which is in heaven. That is the thing. Let me throw out all the tackle. Let me lower every other sail. Let me lighten the ship that I may go about that business with as much speed as possible. It not being hindered by anything of me. Amen. Brother Dean, Brother, would you pray for us? Thank the Lord for the food. We have food prepared if you're able to stay. Doesn't matter whether you brought anything or not. There's plenty back there. Please stay. We eat every Sunday. Um, Brother Dean, would you pray for us?